We pray that your presence might be known here in a very special and meaningful way to our hearts and that you would minister to and encourage each one in this auditorium and online today. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stan Makita was a Slavic-born Canadian hockey player. Now there's a mix, right? For the Chicago Blackhawks in the 60s. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember that. He was eventually named one of the 100 greatest NHL players in 2017. But Stan used to get into a lot of fights when he was on the ice. Until one day he, he stopped fighting so much when his um, very mature daughter came to him and said, Daddy, how can you score goals when you're always in the penalty box? Good question, Christian. How can we score goals? How can we succeed in life? How can we move forward in life when we're always fighting a battle with an enemy that doesn't even belong to us? Today I want to show you that the battles that you face aren't your battles. but they're battles that belong to God. You see, the problem is that as Christians, when we get taunted by the enemy, the devil, through various trials and circumstances and situations that come into our lives, we think that we're helping God out by rolling up our sleeves and duking it out with the enemy. We think somehow, weirdly, that it's our battle to fight. And then we end up in the penalty box of life through worry and anxiety and depression and maybe even anger, and we cease making goals. We cease making progress and growth in our spiritual life. I don't know who needs to hear this message this morning beyond myself. <laughs> you might even feel me get a little bit of emotion this morning because I'm speaking to myself. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 15, chapter 20 and verse 15, the second part. Scripture says, the battle is not yours but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And I don't know what battle you're going through today. I know the battles that I'm facing. I don't know the battles that you're going through today and what battle you're going to have to go through tomorrow or next week. Alex is facing battles of her own today, isn't she? And the Brown family. That's a battle. The loss of a loved one. But maybe you're struggling in some other kind of way. Maybe, maybe you're struggling at work and there's just a battle going to work every day. And it just seems like it never ceases. Maybe your battle is in your home. It's with your mate or with a child that has gone astray or that you just don't have a very good relationship with. Maybe your battle is a mental battle. It's the battle of anxiety or depression or worry, anxiety. And you can't seem to get beyond it. 
Today, I want you to know, and I want you to hear clearly the message of the word of the Lord, that the battle does not belong to you. It belongs to God. It's not a battle that you have to fight on your own. It's not a battle that you have to worry about. It's it's not a battle that you have to come up with a strategy to win, but the battle belongs to God. And maybe the truth of what I have just said has been in your face for a long time, but you just haven't seen it. And you need to be reminded of that truth again through God's word. And so I want you to say that with me this morning because I want us to hear it loud and clear. The battle doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. Say that with me. The battle doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. Now will you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles in chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. You can use that. Before we get into the scripture today, let me give you a bit of a context for what is happening here. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, while Ahab was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Remember that this is the divided kingdom now ever since Solomon died. Jehoshaphat's father was King Asa, who was a godly king. He followed the Lord. And now Jehoshaphat, his son, is following in his father's footsteps. Praise God, because that didn't always happen. Now, Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king. (laughs) There are no perfect leaders. If you find one, let me know, because I haven't met them yet. Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king. It wasn't long before chapter 20 that in chapter 18, Jehoshaphat had allied himself with the wicked king Ahab, the king of Israel. You see, Ahab had come to Jehoshaphat and asked him, to go into battle with him and against Ramoth-Gilead, a strong city east of the Jordan in Syria. His idea was to bring that under his rule, under his control. And so Jehoshaphat goes to Ahab, and we have to go back to chapter 18, and we read in verse 4, Then Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, that would be Ahab, Inquire first for the, uh, for the word of the Lord. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and he said to them, shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for God will give it into your hands, uh, into the hands of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom whom we, we may require? Now, now you've got to know that wicked king Ahab is not going to call godly prophets. In fact, these may have been, probably were, the prophets of Baal. Maybe some of them who who survived that whole ordeal on Mount Carmel with Elijah. You remember that story. And so Jehoshaphat says in verse 6, Is there not another prophet of the Lord of whom we may require? He, He got it. He understood that these probably were not prophets of God. And he says, Aren't there any real prophets? around here that we can ask. And so skipping along in the story so that we don't have to read it all, they called a prophet named Micaiah, a prophet of the Lord, a genuine prophet of the Lord, 
who told them that a deceiving spirit from the devil had given all of the other prophets a false message so that Ahab would go into battle and get killed. And of course, Ahab, he refuted that and said, see, I told you he never said anything good about me. And in spite of his message, Jehoshaphat went into battle with Ahab, and Ahab did get killed, and Jehoshaphat barely escaped by the skin of his teeth. And I think when we get over into chapter 20 that Jehoshaphat learned his lesson from that experience because now in chapter 20 he's just about ready to be attacked by an enemy himself and he's not going to make the same mistake twice, at least in a row, because as you read further on into the book, sometime later he allied himself with the next wicked king of Israel and he got punished for it. But in this instance, I think he had that remembrance of the incident with Ahab the, that's just fresh in his mind and, he's, and he begins these steps to ensure that God is going to be with him. And I want us to take this story and learn some lessons from the story of Ahab about the battle belonging to God. So it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that we begin in verse 2. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. The first lesson that we learn is that God is never surprised by sneak attacks. God is never surprised by sneak attacks. Now you remember the name En Gedi. You probably recognize that name. That's, a, that's an oasis west of the Dead Sea. I have up there for you a couple of pictures. Remember this is the place where David hid from King Saul. And where David secretly tore off a piece of the robe of King Saul in a cave. This was a common, you can see the picture there. This is picture probably of where King David was, was hiding in this oasis in, in Gedi. And this was a common route for enemies because they were made invisible to the people on the other side of the, of the mountain to the west. In other words, this was a sneak attack. And that's, and that's the way it is, isn't it? It's the way it is in our lives. When the, when the enemy attacks... It's often by surprise. It's a sneak attack. When Saul threw his spear at David while he was playing the harp, I don't think he saw it coming. It was a sneak attack. And after the events on Mount Carmel and Elijah killed the prophets of Baal and Queen Jezebel said that she was going to come after Elijah and kill him in the same way, that was a sneak attack. It took Elijah by the surprise. In fact, we probably know that because he went set off running. He ran into hiding. Mary and Martha, they thought that Jesus would come and save their brother Lazarus from death, but he died, a sneak attack. They didn't expect that. It was a surprise. Job was taken by surprise when the devil came and took all of his kids and his servants and his flocks. 
And we're taken by the surprise in the same way today, are we not? We're surprised when we hear a diagnosis of cancer. I know that feeling. A number of years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. It was a sneak attack. Didn't expect it coming. Didn't see it happening. Praise God, it was curable. It was, it was, it was good. I'm good. God took care of me. He's still taking care of me. But it was a sneak attack. It took me a while to get my head wrapped around that. When our children do something stupid, <laughs> it takes us by surprise. We feel like we raised them right. We don't understand the decisions they make in life sometimes. We have a car accident. A storm comes and floods our pavement. <laughs> Someone takes offense at somebody, something that we said in innocence. A young man, the prime of life, dies in a plane accident. It's a sneak attack. Didn't see it coming. You see, the enemy will always come from behind because his method is to come and destroy us, to kill, steal, and destroy, to make us ineffective, to take our focus off of God, to take us out of the game. There was a sneak attack in 2017 when our son took his own life. Didn't expect it coming. Thought, I thought I was out of the game. It always catches you by surprise. But remember that God is never surprised by sneak attacks. And we've got to face them with the right weapons. This is where we find our second lesson. We face sneak attacks on our knees in prayer. I love that last song we sang, David, Daisy. That we go to our knees before God. Jehoshaphat learned from his adventures with Ahab. And, and he's not about to, to repeat, you know. He's not going to put it on repeat. He, he's, he learned some lessons. And so Jehoshaphat, he goes to prayer. He, he was afraid. But he turned to God in prayer. And so in prayer, they begin reminding themselves of who God is. We need to do that. Look at verse 3 with me. Chapter 20. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. See, he was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. In the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not? Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people? And here we see them, and here we see them standing in the outer court of Solomon's newly 
relatively newly constructed temple. It's a new, and it says the new, the new court is probably an expansion of Solomon's temple. Where, where the congregation, they assembled before the Lord. In the same place, by the way, where after the, the dedication or during the dedication of the temple, Solomon and all of his court cohort, they stood and they prayed to God. And God said to them in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 14, and I want you to read that with me. Read it out loud. Oh, Lord, God of our na- name, what, what is that? 2 Chronicles 7.14, read it with me. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Do you ever say that prayer? That's a great prayer. And now, and now here's Jehoshaphat. He's standing in the same place where that prayer was prayed. And he's repeating it. He's essentially repeating it back to God. He's saying, God, remember what you said to us. Remember your promises to us. Remember that you said you would do this. They're declaring the majesty and the power and the glory of God. And they declare that God is greater than any kingdom or any nation and that no one can stand before him. The next time you feel like you've been attacked by surprise, remind yourself that God is greater and that no one and nothing can stand against him. Jehoshaphat reminds himself of who God is. And then he reminds himself of what God did in the past. Verse 7. Of 2 Chronicles 20. Did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it before to your descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, let's stop there for a moment. You see, in rehearsing their history, when they came out of slavery in Egypt and God drove out their enemies before him, they're reminding themselves of what God had previously done, how he had smashed down the walls of Jericho, how he had delivered them out of the hands of the Amalekites, how they, how they drove the people stronger and bigger than themselves out of the land. And now they're standing before the very temple that was built for God's presence to dwell in, reminding themselves of God's past protection. Have you done that? When the enemy attacks, when we're attacked, we can remind ourselves of all that God has done for us. That we're children of God. That we've been bought by the blood of the land to pay the price for our sins and delivered from the power of, of, of hell. That the spirit of God lives in these fragile, broken temples to shine through all the cracks. And that God has declared these, these broken people, me and you, to be his people. To be his temple that he dwells in. 
many times when I found myself with a big challenge, a sneak attack that I didn't know what to do with. I've reminded myself of all of the blessings of God in the past and that this new obstacle now is no challenge to him. So they, they, so they began to declare who God is. They rehearsed what God had done for them in the past. And then they remind God of the promises he made. Verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. You see, they're repeating the promises of chapter 7 and verse 14. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what we should be doing? Every time we face a challenge in life, begin to quote and rehearse and remind yourself of the promise of the, that God has already given us in his word. We stand firm on the promises of God, amen? There is nothing that can stand before him. There is no enemy greater than him. And if we will stand, the, 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 the ground beneath us will be firm, a firm foundation. It's when we start to fight our own battles that the ground begins to shake. Be reminded of his promises in the same way that Jesus said to us that he would deliver us if we'll turn to him. Let me give you a few passages. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. <laughs> I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, God is our advocate. God is our captain of the Lord's army. He's our provider. He is our shield. He is our strength. He delivers us. He protects us from the evil one. Let's remind ourselves the next time that we face a challenge and attack in our lives that God is the one we turn to. And then we show a, and then we see a show of dependence. Verse 10. And they pray, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out, out of your own possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horror that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want you to notice how they just throw themselves onto the mercy seat of God. And they admit their own weakness. Oh God, we don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle the situation. Have you ever felt that way? I've said many times, oh God, I don't even know what to do here. 
I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. God hears that prayer. They were recognizing, you see, they were recognizing God as a covenant-keeping God. They reminded God of how he protected them from their enemies in the past. And they're admitting their own inability to fight against such a numerous enemy. But that because God had given them the land, it was his responsibility to keep them in the land. It's like when we decide to have children, right? We make a covenant with that child that we're going to be with them and keep them and protect them and guide them and nurture them. And so we hold their hand when they cross the street to keep them safe. And when they get into trouble, we, we go to their rescue. I remember one time, not so proud of this, but I remember one time my son came running into the house and he said that some kids in the neighborhood were, had been bullying him and it wasn't the first time. I think they saw themselves as some little gang or something. And he was crying and telling me some of the things they said to him. And Well, they were still across the street from my house. And so I ran out the door and I marched across that street in my boldest way, you know. And, and I pointed my finger at them and, and I told them what, what for. And if they bothered my kid anymore, you're going to have to answer to me. I must have been pretty stern because one of the parents came out of the house and promptly took their kid into the house, which I was happy about because that was the worst kid. <laughs> we run we run to their rescue. God runs to our rescue. There's, a, there's an old song, I forget what the name of it is, but it, 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 there's a line in the songs that, that, that I never saw God run except for when he ran to me. When he ran to me. He runs, he runs to our rescue. We protect our own and God protects his own. Why? Because he is a covenant-keeping God. Next time you feel attacked, throw yourself onto the mercy seat of God. Tell him how you feel overwhelmed and, and powerless. I don't know what to do, God. I don't know how to handle this. Be like Jake Judah. Put your eyes on God. Show your dependence upon him and he runs to your rescue. <laughs> and then God speaks. And God reminds us to trust him for the victory. Look at verse 14. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of uh, Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for, say it with me, the battle is not yours, but God's. When your enemy comes 
upon you by surprise. Be reminded that it is not your battle, but that it belongs to God. You don't need to put the gloves on. You don't need to put together a battle plan. You don't need to sit down and strategize what your next move is going to be because it's not your battle. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the comic, cosmic powers over the present darkness, over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Hey, this isn't a battle that you can fight in your own strength. It's a heavenly battle. It's a battle that is to be fought on our knees. And the Lord gave this command, verse 16. Listen to this. It's just so awesome. Tomorrow, go down against this horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in the battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now, notice how, they told that, how God told them that, that they didn't need to fight in the battle. Just, just, just put on your Hawaiian shirt, Bermuda shorts and sandals and just go out there and watch the show. Just watch the battle. And the battle strategy was for them to stand firm, hold your position, see the salvation of the Lord. I want you to go out there and I want you to stand and I want you to watch. It's reminiscent of what God did in Jericho, is it not? They marched around and they yelled and they shouted and they blew the horns and boom, the enemy fell. They didn't have to lift a sword. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all, what? To stand firm. Same thing. Put all of your trust in the Lord and then you'll be able to stand firm in the place of your calling and watch God get the victory. And you won't have to swing a sword. And you won't have to experience any harm. All you'll need to do is stand and watch and see God destroy the enemy. Some people today are thick in the battle and they're swinging and they're flailing and they're call crying and they don't, they're, you know, they're fighting the enemy. They don't know what to do. They just, they just know they're in a fight and they're swinging and, and, they're, and, and, they're, and they're failing. And they're failing. And God is standing on the sidelines with his arms folded going... Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Have, have you done your best? Are you done yet? Look at the king's command to his army. Verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. And you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. 
And when they had taken counsel of the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went out before the army and to say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. As they were, as they were going out into the battlefield, isn't it amazing what they began to do? <laughs> they began to sing and praise and worship. What kind of a battle strategy is that? You see what they were doing in their singing is that they were reminding, reminding themselves of who God is and what he is able to do for them. That's basically what we do when we sing. We remind ourselves of who God is and what he is able to do for us. And that's a, good time, that's a good thing for us to do when we face a surprise attack. Just go to our knees and just begin to worship and praise him. Did you know that singing has a profound effect on your brain? Studies show that singing boosts your immune system. It releases stress. It benefits your heart. It increases your energy. It improves your memory. And correct breathing fosters clear thinking. Singing moves musical vibrations through you, which literally alters your emotional landscape, soothing your nerves and, and, and increasing your endorphins, which is kind of like a tranquilizer. You say, well, I, I can't sing. I, no pastor, I guess that's not for me. I'll take the tranquilizer. <laughs> can't sing well you're in love because studies show that even thinking about singing has the same and sometimes even better effects on your brain and so when you're facing stress and anxiety and depression try singing or think about singing put some praise worship on and listen to that it's God's pain reliever and they began to sing. The stress began to leave them. Look at the enemy's response. This is so fascinating. Verse 22. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. I want to I back up to verse 22 because this is significant. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. I'll come back to that. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. <laughs> what? What just happened? As soon as they begin singing and praising God, the Lord sets an ambush against the enemy. You know what I believe happened? I believe that was the heavenly army of God. God sent his warring angel. Did you know that we're surrounded by a heavenly warrior angels who are protecting us? Did you know that? Read through scripture, you see many accounts of that. God protects us. <laughs> God set ambushes against their enemy and they started fighting one another. Why? <laughs> it's a crazy story. 
and all the enemies of Judah killed each other. Here's the point. If we turn our eyes on God during an attack, the enemy who... Listen, this is so good. The enemy who came to kill you will kill themselves. Isn't that great? It's the craziest thing I've ever read. I'm sorry. It just, it just tickles me to death. The enemy will, who came to kill you will kill one another. How do I know that's true? Psalm 41.11. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage. This is your heritage. The heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. The only way that our enemy is able to get the victory is if we decide to fight the battle on our own. And when we think we can gain victory over our enemy is about the time that we, excuse the language, get kicked in the butt and trampled on and run over. But when we call upon the name of the Lord and worship him and let him do the fighting on our behalf, our enemies will end up destroying themselves. Look at the reward. Uh, Verse 25 When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. The spoils were more than they could carry, and I believe that, that God wants to give us the spoils of victory in the same way. Didn't Paul say in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that God is going to make you rich or anything like that. I don't know what the spoils are that God wants to give to us, but I know what some of the spoils are right now. For those who are in Christ, he gives a peace that is beyond all comprehension. For it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have the promise that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. We have the promise that no weapon of spiritual warfare can be used against us, but that God will destroy them. We have all the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit available to us. And best of all, we're no longer slaves to sin because Christ has won the victory for us. I don't know what battle you're facing today. But you need to remember the battle is not yours. It belongs to God. And so cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Stop fighting the enemy on your own. But get down on your knees before God and lay it all before him. Trust God to win the battle for you. And then stand praising and see him win the victory. We're going to sing a closing song as the worship team comes. And as we do, 
as we sing this morning. Whatever battle that you're facing, we need to bring before the Lord. And if you want to do that this morning with me, I'm just going to ask you to join me at the front here. And we're just going to pray together. We're going to pray that, that, that prayer of victory over whatever battle that you're facing. Just bring it. We're, going to, we're going to just going to bring it before the Lord together. I'm going to bring mine. You're going to bring yours. And we're going to just stand before the Lord together. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to do something in our heart that we've not been able to do on our own because we've been fighting the battle ourselves. And now we're going to turn and we're going to praise and worship and we're going to let God fight the battle for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are a victory-gaining God. That there is no power that is greater than you. There is, there is no one and nothing that is able to separate us from the love of God. And Lord, we want to stand in that victory together this morning as the body of Christ. And we want to say to you, God, we're standing on your firm foundation, the word of God. And we're going to do what you've commanded us to do. And we're just going to let you have the victory. And we're going to praise you and worship you for all that you do. Stand, will you, as we sing. And I'm just going to be right here. You just come as the Lord leads you. We're going to pray together.